You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's Nom Nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. Well, I'm moving on out, out of Florida, headed for Arizona, where we'll stay. Moving on out, out of Florida, to a place where it's okay to say gay. AZ didn't vote for the fascists, like Florida certainly did. I know things there won't be perfect. I'm really going to miss my kid. While we're driving cross country, there still are shows to be done. So I'm pulling interviews you may not have heard, and I hope you listen to everyone while we're moving on out. Out of Florida to Arizona where it's hot as hell. I'll take the sauna over the steam bath. To escape that Ron DeSantis fascist smell. It's time for episode eight of our best of moving shows. I'm Nicole Sandler. Today, we go back to April 17th of 2020. Mm, We were in the thick of the pandemic. Most of the country was still under lockdown. In fact, a glance into my script for what's news from that day reads like this. Quote, The number of reported deaths in the U.S. from COVID-19 spiked to nearly double the prior record Thursday as governors extended their lockdown orders and the Trump administration released new federal guidelines to reopen the economy. Yeah, it went like that. It wasn't good news. But the show must go on. And on that day, I had two guests, one of them to help our collective psyche during this time. And the first, well, Let's just roll the tape and listen. We have a really, really busy show for you today. So if you don't mind, I'm going to jump right in. But stick around, because coming up in the second half, Kelly Carlin, yes, George Carlin's daughter, is a teacher, a leader of meditation and mindfulness. And she's going to help us get through this weird time together. So stick around for Kelly Carlin. But we start today with a conversation with Ali Velshi. He's somebody that, well, we welcome into our homes all the time. I've become a a big fan of Ali Velshi's. In fact, I I started really following you, Ali, when you joined Al Jazeera America. 
um, because I was excited that for the first time in this era, we had a news channel that was about news. It wasn't about one ideology over another. The, the goal there was to present news in an objective manner, wasn't it? Yeah, um, it was two goals. One is news in the absence of, uh, you know, what we used to think of as news, uh, it being as objective as possible. And we can discuss what objectivity is, because I think we've learned over time uh, that maybe it's not exactly what we think it is. But that was one of the goals. And the other goal that I thought was really important is because I'd been a journalist probably 20 some odd years before I joined Al Jazeera. And we were really concentrated on uh, telling stories from the perspective of the voiceless or being a voice for the voiceless. And it, it occurred to me, uh, while I had always thought about those things, and I thought I was reporting about those things, my life as a journalist in New York City working for mainstream media um, doesn't expose me to a whole lot of voiceless people as we go out of our way to find them. Mm -hmm. Even our most junior employees at a media organization are powerful, right? Because they can call up anybody and tell them they're from the media. Um, <laughs> So, so I really, it caused me to get outside of a, a zone in which I had been operating. It wasn't a shift in ideology for me or the way I think about things, but it really caused me to say, how do you tell stories from the perspective of the very people who don't have the voice, whom you talk about, whom you analyze, whom you characterize all the time? And I have to say, Nicole, that was a bigger challenge than I, a guy like me thought it was going to be. I thought this was obvious, right? I know who these voiceless people are. I know what their challenges are. I know what their lives are. Well, I didn't. Mm -hmm. And and, and it, it changed my perspective. It was a it was a remarkable experience for me for that reason. It, whatever you think I think, because I'm a Kenyan-born Muslim who grew up in Canada, you're probably right. <laughs> or not. Uh, because or not. you're a human being and you're here. And you, you I mean, I, for me, first and foremost, as a viewer and a uh, a power consumer of news media, um, uh, you're one of the best. Now, I know we met um, virtually through Twitter some time ago when one morning I was in a pissy mood and I probably hadn't had enough coffee. And you said I'm a big Bernie Sanders supporter uh, for some of the reasons you already uh, mentioned, the single payer and just his consistency over the years. And one morning, and it was like maybe only your second week in the new slot in the new Velshi show, which is the now on Saturdays and Sundays from 8 to 10 Eastern morning. I'm, you know, one of those old people who doesn't sleep and wakes up early in the morning. So I see it all the time. Anyway, I, I called you out in in a in a pissy moment and you were so wonderful in the way you responded to me and you really engaged with me um some of your colleagues uh, <laughs> have blocked me over the years uh and and rightly so probably i blocked some of them but i was so thrilled to have this conversation with you and it just it 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 verified my belief in that you're you know you're a good guy you're a decent human being and you're smart and that's one of the reasons i enjoy watching you because you do give a very well-rounded uh, view of the whatever story you're talking about. You give background and you do it without much personal um, uh, commentary in, in, invoked, although I don't, not that there's anything wrong with that. I do it on a daily basis, but you, you give us the facts and it, especially at a time like this, that is so important. Um, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today is how life reporting on the news has changed when we're living the biggest news story any of us has ever even imagined. Um, you know, the idea of a pandemic was always out there, and, and obviously the, the administration had been briefed on it too, not that they took it seriously. But we as a people 
as a planet have never lived anything lived through anything like this how has it changed your world other than obviously in the mechanics we see in the coverage and you're working from home uh, in a bigger picture how has it changed you well uh, on a few levels first of all for, for your comment i don't really uh, recall our fight i res- i recall the resolution i uh-huh. i recall the fact that we decided to engage yeah. and and have conversation to me that's the the good part right I, mm-hmm. I I'm fine with criticism uh, we should often have it um, and by the way I think I was one of uh, Bernie Sanders last interviews before yes, he uh, stepped I, out of the race and I and I uh, have to thank you for that too by the way because I did that did not go unnoticed and it was a great interview too so thank you for that we had a great interview and I've always enjoyed a great relationship with the senator uh, editorially and I, I like that um, so a lot of things have changed I've covered a lot of the very big stories of our time right I've covered the uh, I covered 9-11. I covered uh, uh, the recession. I covered uh, various, you know, I covered hurricanes and earthquakes and and wars. This is so different. Never mind the mechanics, which is fascinating, right? I'm broadcasting from my home right now. Actually, uh, one of my colleagues, uh, a photographer, is here adjusting some lighting and and fixing some things. But, But the mechanics aside of anchoring a show, there's that. Then there's the actual news gathering, right? right? The idea that we we have to tell real people stories, and that means going into places where real people are, and and that this is a time when that's just weird, right? People don't necessarily want you coming to their homes. Um, we're not out there all the time. So this, uh, Skype, Zoom, things like that have become much more valuable. But remember that we as a network operate on the basis that we have contact, who have our companies, who have uh, communications experts, that regular folks don't have that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, social media, Twitter, the stories about people's lives uh, have become crucial and important. Frontline workers, right? I get outside in Manhattan at 7 p.m. every day and clap for those people out uh, there, the, the frontline uh-huh. workers, including the grocery delivery people, the, the doormen, the nurses. But I don't talk to them. I don't interview them. So we've had to find ways to do that. And we do do that. We are talking to home health care aides and grocery store workers and people like that to tell us how what impact this has on them. And I think that's a part of our uh, the new way we think about things that is going to be good. Right. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can tell a lot more stories from the bottom up than we can from the perspective of presidents and princes and prime ministers down. So that's one very good part about this. But the other thing about it that's fascinating is in the big stories that I've covered, uh, even in 9-11, we thought it was existential. We thought it was going to be a massive threat to our way of life. And ultimately it was, and it wasn't going to destroy us. And and, and in the recession, uh, we thought about all the ways in which it was going to uh, damage our lives and our prosperity, but we weren't scared of the people around us. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is so new. You don't know where this threat lies. Um, and, and so your your de- your brain can't get your head around who fixes this? How does it get fixed? This is science. This is leadership. This is government. And we don't know how to process that. So we're doing it in real time. And, and you'll notice every single week on TV, our behavior changes a little bit because the story has shifted. Is it about fear? Is it about numbers? Is it about leadership? Is it about the economy? Is it about failures in government? Is it about uh, medical science? Uh, So these, it's such a fast evolving story about things around which we don't have a pre-established expertise.
Right, right. And what I'm noticing also is we're all being affected by this in ways that we probably won't even know for months and maybe in some cases years to come. And I'm talking about mental health. And I'm somebody I've been open about this on my show. I have always struggled with depression my entire adult life since adolescence. And I, you know, I had a really, really rough time after Donald Trump's election where I had what I can look back now and describe it as as a breakdown. Um, I did my job. I did a show every day. Don't ask me how I got through it. I'm afraid if I were to go back and listen to some of those shows, I'd be mortified because I I got to the point where I I had to write out every word. I was I was a nervous wreck. I did. I, I questioned everything. And I just this is something I've been doing for 40 years. I've been in radio and I just I would shake before I opened the mic. It so thoroughly destroyed me. And I somehow got through it, came out on the other side, maybe seeing, all right, we're coming closer to an election time and maybe we can get rid of this man. Um, But it it has really affected me. And now, you know, just when we thought things couldn't get any worse, really, as a nation, as a planet, we're not going to go any lower. We get hit by this pandemic. And and so many of us are just, uh, I'm a lung cancer survivor and I'm 60 years old. I can't go out there. So so it's 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 changed every aspect of our lives and it's changed the way I do my show because no longer do I want to de- dig down deep on all that the the numbers and the the news and the it's too much I want That's what we know right so I'm hitting on a more human level I think I mentioned this to you in an email I start I happened upon a Facebook group called room view from my room that now in a short month has over a million members who people at every corner of the planet, um, they take pictures of the view from their house, say where they are. They're everywhere from Zimbabwe to South Africa to Australia, New Zealand and and Bolivia and, and Brazil and all over the States. And I'm looking at these and I start reaching out to some of these people and connecting with them. And I've invited them on the show. So I'm doing this new segment called Quarantine Calling, where I connected yesterday with a wonderful woman from Finland, um, uh, somebody else in Denmark, uh, somebody in Italy. And and it just it's a small world. And we're all on this in in a a unique moment in history when we're all experiencing basically basically the same thing. Um, and I'm having a hard time verbalizing what that is, but just trying to connect with people. Those kind of stories are what somehow make me feel a little better, and it gives me a way to to pass things along yeah. to listeners. Are you more interested in stuff like that, or because we also need you to help explain about the PPP program running out of wa- out of money, and why some of us haven't gotten our twelve hundred dollars yet? Yeah. And, and and that that is uh, what we still do and what we still should do but i have had uh segments on my shows that i have not had on my shows in 25 years or 30 years of doing this i had a, a an expert on grief oh, the other day uh-huh. uh, talk about the collective grief we all feel yeah. not just the grief of those of us who have lost somebody to covid but the the, the the loss the feeling that we feel about the loss of normalcy in our lives actually feels like grief. Uh, and then there are those people who lost somebody during this period, not to coronavirus, but they can't have a funeral or they nice. can't be with them or they can't have a memorial service. I talked to somebody the other day about uh, what young LGBTQ people go through, right? Because let's say you've had to leave school or, or leave your work and quarantine in place with your family, which wasn't safe space for you to start with. Yeah, I, I had uh-huh. someone talking about um, uh, uh, people who are abused mm-hmm. in their relationships. 
where do you go when Those you got to actually be with someone and you can't run to the shelter right. and you don't have uh, places that are open to you? So, you know, we would put thing we would give them tips as to what to do. Um, what do you do if you suffer from anxiety or first of all, we're all sufferers of anxiety now. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. Those of us who didn't appreciate what anxiety was when people, you know, when you said, well, that's not really rational. What your fear of that of is, it's not. like, guess what? We're all we're all irrationally that's feared, right. all the, fearful all the time. Uh, thank you for talking openly about your depression, because for people who are suffering from these things, this becomes that much more complicated. You don't have the same access to either therapists or medication or doctors that you typically have. And when everybody else is anxious, how do you share those concerns with people? And I feel like that is is immediate and and uh, in the center of this conversation and necessary. We ran on we started running an ad on MSNBC probably three weeks ago. Um, you know, we have this series that's called This Is Who We Are. Uh-huh. And it. we changed it to We Are In This Together. Uh -huh. And it, it was just imagery of uh, around the world and in America, the things people do to help other people in these times and to cope. I've invited people. I have a, a, a email address, mystoryatvelshi.com, to just tell me, how are you coping? Good, bad, send me videos, send me pictures. And we tell that story every show. I do an obituary every show. Oh. Just to remember that these are real people's people. lives that were lived. And uh, my my producer, Emma, writes it and she sends it to me and I read it. And I, I always uh, smile because the stories are so good. And then I always cry when I deliver them on TV. I, I've read it already. I know what it's going to say. And yet I can't keep it together. So. Uh, these are ways in which we have changed, but I, I do agree with you. We have learned to find strength in each other. And that doesn't mean that you and I shouldn't argue on Twitter or we <laughs> shouldn't have political arguments. Um, I think we should. Somebody said to me last night, I did a, a webinar and they said, do you think we can put aside our political bickering as we lead into the election uh, to, you know, to deal with us? And I said, no. Yeah. I said, people died for our right to politically bicker. Um, you may call it bickering, and sometimes it feels like bickering, and sometimes it feels small and petty, but it is actually central to who we are. So for all we hate about coronavirus and being stuck in our homes, think about those people in the world who don't also have an election coming That's up right. in which they can vote, who don't have freedoms, who live in a refugee camp, who have no money at all, who live in abject poverty and can't do the things that we can do to social distance and, and keep clean all the time. We have democracy and we have a vote. And it's this is not the time to shy away from our adulthood uh, and our and our democratic uh, rights and our, our constitutional obligations for free speech. So bicker and fix coronavirus at the same time. We can actually walk and chew gum at the same time. Most definitely. The only the, 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 but then there's the other aspect that we've steered clear of so far, but it's the 239 pound and then some elephant in the room by way of Donald Trump who if if you had to if you knew that we were going to be struck with a global pandemic of these proportions this scary who is the last person you'd want in the white house right. Donald Trump and yet he goes up there he commandeers two two and a half hours of prime television time every night i know msnbc's gotten a little better at pulling away from him and trying to fact check him in real time but to have him spout some of the the crap he's spouting off is just so irresponsible and frightening and it, it's you know 
my husband, I watch it because I say I have to. It's my job. I need to know what he's saying. And my husband can't be in the room. He just he's going. It's making him nuts. Um, this is another aspect. I watch the way he berates journalists just doing their job. And if you don't, if you're not complimentary of him, if you don't uh, couch your question with praise, um, he'll call you. He'll call you the worst names that, uh, that no adult should ever call anybody, let alone the president of the United States. I wonder on a daily basis, why don't these people get up and walk out? And then I answer my question and I say, because then all that would be left covering him is Fox and OANN. And that's as much of a disservice as covering this stuff. The the two things I always think journalists have to do, uh, one is to bear witness, right? To tell people something is happening. And Mm -hmm. and you think about the the Yazidis on Mount Sinjar, you think about Darfur, you think about the Rohingya. If if there weren't somebody to tell you it was happening, we actually wouldn't know because we'd all be on our feeds, which we have curated for ourselves, and and the story wouldn't get there. So part of the reason we have to be in that room is to bear witness. Uh, Even if it's incredibly hard to watch. Uh, we. This is the president of the United States that was elected by American people, and the consequence of having that president is, is having that president, and we have to tell you that. But the other really important thing that you're getting at is the other responsibility that journalists have is to speak truth to power, mm-hmm. to hold power to account. And there are some journalists in that room who on a daily basis, and by the way, it's not like anchoring a show where you've you've booked your guests, you know who they are, you've done research, you had a booker look into them, you've got a segment producer, you've read their articles. You have no idea on a daily basis what Donald <laughs> Trump is going to do. Nope. And, and his mind works very differently uh, than, than mine does. So I, I give a little extra uh, credence to those reporters in that room because uh, he says stuff and then you have to decide, am I holding him to account for the thing that I thought I was holding him account for? Did he just say something really weird that I need to challenge or do I need to get information on what they know? So it's hard. And there are some reporters, um, my friend Yamiche Alcindor uh, from PBS, uh, uh-huh. yep. one of them, who, you know, he just, he picks on her all, all the, the time. time. He belittles her all the time. He's got some bee in his bonnet about her, and she holds her patience and continues to add ask her questions. And the other day when he skipped past her because he didn't want to give her another question, uh, a couple reporters later, uh, Jeremy back. Diamond from CNN, yep. took his opportunity and gave her the mic back. Yep. So yep. there are there are some moments of glory in, in these things. But I, I will, somebody said something to me before coronavirus, uh, when I was anchoring on Friday nights, I anchor uh, Lawrence O'Donnell's show, right. uh, last word. And she came on and she said, this is this is a, this is for grown-ups. This is not a time when you can say this person's going to come in and save me. Mm-hmm. That's now not going to happen. So you are going to do the things you have to do. The most powerful of which remains your vote. Uh, others of which remain keeping your family safe, keeping yourself safe, social distancing where necessary, finding those around you who need resources, who you can help either figure out how to get their $1,200 or figure out how to file for unemployment. Or if they don't file for unemployment, what can you do to help those around you? Um, I have seen acts of kindness that I didn't know possible in the last couple of months. Just people saying, do you need money? Mm -hmm. Tweet me, need money. What you just said about uh, talking to people, random people around the world, people saying, call me if you need someone to talk to. Let's we're going to fix ourselves. We're going to uh, we're going to take the mantle of leadership. And I will say one thing. Um, 
uh, when Joe Biden launched his campaign, he talked about recapturing the soul of America, and he talked about Charlottesville and, mm. and how far mm -hmm. you know we've come. You know, he's changed his whole theme now, and and uh, he's talking about who he's going to pick for his cabinet. Yeah. And if you think back to 2008, during the election, during the financial crisis, um, uh, John McCain had been doing pretty well, and, and then he picked Sarah Palin and his running, as his running mate. And Barack Obama lined up with all of Clinton's senior economic yep, advisors behind him. Basically, this this is going to be the team that's going to help me mm -hmm. out. And and Joe Biden switched strategy to say, look, maybe you've got doubts about who I am or what my actual capabilities are, but I'm going to start to line up a team for you so you know who is going to lead you out of that. Interesting theory, given that America right now is so hungry for leadership. So that I, I think we're all pivoting and we're all making adjustments to say, you can watch that White House press briefing every day. Your solution and your leadership's not going to come from there. So find it where you can and find it in yourself if you can. Right. Well, hopefully. I mean, then there are those of us waiting on the edges saying, OK, who Joe Biden assembles is of the utmost importance. If he goes back to the old well and brings in Larry Summers and Tim Geithner and the same old Clinton Obama crew, that's not going to do the trick. He needs to for look, I'm I've already said I've got I've got my um my industrial strength nose clubs from my lung cancer battle that I right. used for pulmonary testing. I used this uh, in 2016 to vote for Hillary Clinton and I'm planning to use it again to vote for Joe Biden. Um but I want to know who that I want to know that he's talking right. with with the Sanders camp and the Warren camp and that they're going to take our wants and considerations into effect. I would love to see Joe Biden right now announce his running mate because, you know, he's no spring chicken. That person could likely be president. So that's an important consideration. And I want to know who else he's going to surround himself with. And I just hope that he I wish he would use this time to bring in people and say, these are the people I'm looking at. Do you think I mean, all the rules are thrown out. Everything is going to have to change now. Is that a possibility? Yeah, I, I, you know, I wonder, the, the running mate question is is a big one, and I, I don't know whether he'll move quickly on that, uh, but I, I think the way around that, if he weren't going to move quickly around this, is to sort of say, this is what the, the cabinet looks like. Now, that's going to be weird, because if all of a sudden there isn't a Kamala Harris, or there isn't an Elizabeth Warren, or there isn't somebody like that, does that mean, does that just put the running mate conversation into overdrive to say, well, he's ah, kept them because uh -huh. such and such. So I, I, I don't know how he's thinking about that. I sort of agree with you conceptually that um, it might be time for Joe Biden, who now is, is the, the presumptive nominee, to just act like the presumptive nominee, exactly. to act like we're in October, not uh, not in, in, in April. Uh, so, and I think he's getting that message. And I also think it sounds like from the conversations people have been having, including with Bernie Sanders and with, Warney, uh, with, with Elizabeth Warren and with uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, that this, the, 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 the Joe Biden campaign is taking that part of the message seriously. Look, there are things about the Bernie Sanders campaign, which were considered quite radical a few years ago, uh, that are now mainstream, right? right? $15 an hour, That's I remind right. people, is $30,000 a year. So yeah. everybody who thinks that the socialists are taking over and the poor are taking your money, it's $30,000 a year. Exactly. Uh, the minimum wage is seven and a quarter. That's $15,000 a year. Uh, there are, I saw a poll the other day that said 30% of 
people who identify as conservatives think that universal health care might be a good thing. And I've argued for a long time it actually shouldn't be a liberal or a conservative of idea. It's actually not. a better idea that gets you a better return on your investment. So when you take all of that together, I think that there are things that we thought that now people are saying, you know what, if we had universal health care, we'd probably be in a better position today because there would be a whole bunch of people with underlying conditions uh, who, who would seek treatment. And who might exactly. not die of coronavirus or might not go to work because they could afford to be at home and make somebody else sick. So, you know, I think the world has changed a lot in the last couple of months. I hope so. And one of the things my calling around the world, I, I hope, brings to light. I always ask the people in these other countries about their health care systems. And, you know, they're always they know what it is over here. But when I mention the insurance card and it's tied to your employment and then there's co-pays and deductibles and the people who don't have insurance go back there. It, it is inconceivable to the rest of the civilized world. If we have one silver lining from this whole mess, hopefully we keep the deaths down. They keep the curve flat. People, yeah. you know, the, 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 the horror is minimized as much as it can be. But, and but we come really, out on the other end with people knowing that, yeah, we need universal health care. We need a single payer health care system. Yeah, and, and look, you think about how many of our major policies have come out of bad things. That's not a bad thing to wish for, right? The idea mm -hmm. that good things come out of bad things, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory mm -hmm. meant that workers don't work in rooms that are locked so that if there's a fire, they can't get out. People had to die for us to say, wow, that seems to be a no-brainer, and there are lots of places in the world who don't have basic rules like that. That's so right. I think that, you know, I, I used to report on hurricanes, and I'd talk about climate change, and people would say, this isn't the time. And <sighs> I've reported on so many mass shootings on site and people have said this isn't the time to talk about gun control well guess what it's actually always the time to talk about ways in which we can handle this thing that's happening now differently and better in the future so i think we can hold both of those thoughts together we're in a crisis and rule number one is fix that but let's talk about how we fix this moving forward absolutely ali velshi i could keep talking to you for an hour i know i've overstayed my welcome already thank you so much what a what a pleasure this has been i do enjoy waking up and and watching you weekend mornings and i it's even better when someone's out and i see it's you in the fill-in chair because i trust you and i like you and now i think you're a friend so ali velshi find yep. him um uh, his website is at is velshi.com He's on Twitter at Ali Velshi. And of course, you find him on MSNBC pretty much all the time, but certainly Saturday and Sunday mornings. What a pleasure this has been. Thank you so much. It was great meeting you. Thanks. He turned out to be every bit as nice as I thought he would be. And also made me late for our next appointment. So let's not wait any longer because she's there. She's on the line. Um, uh, you know Kelly Carlin. Um, uh, certainly you, well, you know I'm looking for the uh, our, our page. I've got so many things. If you could see my desktop, there she is. Okay, hey, Kelly Carlin. Uh, hello, hello, hello. Hello. This is so exciting. So you're out there in Los Angeles. I'm here in Southern California. We've actually done this before, where I've participated with you in some of your um, workshops. But um, we'll get to that. Everybody knows the name Carlin. Of course, they know your dad. Uh, Kelly Carlin is the daughter of what, who I think is, um, if we had a, a comic laureate of the nation, I think George Carlin should be it. He is uh, my hero. I mean, I grew up, you know, listening to Class Clown and, and reciting the seven dirty words. And uh, I mean, 
uh, yeah, the wisdom and the wisdom that your father imparted. And so when I got to know you, Kelly, um, I, I just I could see his influence in you so much. I was lucky enough to read your book when you came out with it a few years ago, A Carl and Home Companion, that everybody should read. And um, and then the one woman show that you did that sort of grew out of the book or the book grew out of the show. I'm not sure. Um, mm-hmm. But your life is fascinating because you you were born into show business and entertainment and humor and um, and and you do that and you've done that and you continue to do that. But you also um, went off on your own and studied psychology. Uh, so, so explain to everybody, you have a master's in Jungian psychology. Yeah, I got my master's in counseling psychology with an emphasis on Jungian psychology from a place called Pacifica Graduate Institute in Montecito, Santa Barbara, California. And so I've, uh, God, I got that 16 years ago in 2004. I've always been fascinated with um, people's journeys. Well, first of all, my own journey. That's why I wrote a memoir. And I've always been fascinated by like, how do we go from what shaped us to who we are today, to who we want to be next, or where do or or what's emerging in us next? I've always been fascinated by that inner life, and and both my parents were also fascinated with that. My dad obviously was a, a thinker, an observer of the human condition, so he really taught me how to take that witnessing stance with the culture and people, and in our own our own kind of inner life that he would share uh, with some of his material. He, he wasn't very much a person who shared his personal life, but he shared this kind of universal inner life that we all had together. And then of course the big cultural uh, questions. And then my mother was very much a seeker and, and also a wisdom teacher in her own right. She uh, got sober in AA when I was about 12 years old, she was in her, mid thirties at the time. And she became a leader in that organization and a, and a a person who uh, sponsored women and helped women and had a women's group. Um, And she was always out on some, you know, Mesa somewhere studying with some teacher or something like that. So she was a real seeker. So I really, I really got this training from my family of origin, that and the humor and, and the performing and all of that. And so, yeah, and I went and got my master's because I wanted to be a person who used my communication skills. You know, I have the urge to be out in front of people and sharing stuff. I, I although I am enjoying this being in my house thing also <laughs> a lot lately, but we'll talk about that in uh, a minute because okay. that's kind of what I've been focusing on. Right. Um, but I, I wanted to do more than just entertain people. I wanted it. I wanted always someone to walk away with something that they could carry with them that might like either plant the seed or break open the seed of transformation for them. I'm, I'm just, I'm very committed to that transformational process. I'm fascinated by it. So that's why I dug into all that stuff academically and scholastically. Plus I've been a practicing Buddhist and studying Buddhism for over 20 years also. Um, so yeah, you know, this kind of spiritual self-growth psychological stuff is, um, my personal bliss. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I just got to say, you know, in this time when all, uh, whether you're watching a, a show like mine or something on, uh, on MSNBC or CNN, we're looking into people's homes. And I got the last time I was in your home, 
Uh, Kelly, you have a different picture behind you. You have Billy Jack behind you. Oh my yeah. God! One Tin Soldier. That that was the that was the movie of my twelve yep. year old year. And and me too, girl. <laughs> me too. We are like the, we're right around the same age. Yeah, I mean, are. I think he was also kind of like my first crush a little bit. <laughs> like I had some sort of like weird sexual daddy feelings for him. Um, but he was the man who fought injustice, right? right? I mean, and it was so part of the times. And my friend Chris Bono, B-O-N-N-O, he paints these amazing different kind of portraits and things. He'll paint whatever you want. And I saw a Billy Jack painting that he had done. I'm like, I need Billy Jack in my <laughs> Billy life. Jack, so yes. Billy Jack's uh, Tom Laughlin's over my shoulder here and he lives in this space. This is the space I work and coach and teach from. And uh, he's always reminding me of that kind of inner ally, the one who's willing to stand up for wrong in the world mm -hmm. and, and stand up for the underdog. I mean, that's really what he did, right? You yes. know, so yeah, he's, and a, he's an important the figure. School and yes, and oh my goodness, so many memories. My best friend, Eva, who's still my best friend to this day, she now lives in Boston. We were down here in Hollywood, Florida. We were in, in seventh grade and and um, uh, um, Billy Jack was playing at the little Cine movie theater off of Sheridan Street. And we rode our bicycles and we went and this was our movie and it still is. And not too long ago, I sent her an MP3 of Coven, who was the band who sang One Tin, Sol One Tin Soldier and sent it to her. And she's like, oh, Billy Jack. So it's our thing. So when I saw that, I'm just like, oh, my God, this is so oh, perfect. I love it. I absolutely love it. Oh, that's so great. It is. We connect on so many levels. So when, when, when we're sitting here going through this whatever it is, this thing that we're united across the planet in this isolation. We're all going through this stuff together. I don't know if I told you, I've been calling around the world and meeting people in other countries and checking in with them on how they're doing. I met a wonderful woman from Finland yesterday and one from Denmark and one from New South Wales, Australia. And it's just, it's bringing the world together. But I, also, I also know that we are all going through some mental things. Many yeah. people who don't do a lot of work don't understand what's going on. People like me who fought depression for years, I, mm -hmm. I feel that it's like, uh-oh, that's creeping in and uh, this is not good. And I watch how it's affecting my daughter who will celebrate her 21st birthday locked in this house with us. Oh. And so I, I, there have to be ways for us to get in our minds or get out of our minds and deal with it. And, and Kelly, honestly, you're the first person I thought of because I know you lead these workshops from your home. You do it on Zoom. I did yeah. a series with you a couple of years ago that was just wonderful. And so I contacted you and said, hey, would you consider leading us in, in some kind of a guided meditation to th that, that speaks to these weird times we're living in? Yeah, yeah. And before we get to that, I just want to talk about a couple of things, one of which is whether you are used to being in relationship with your inner life or not, um, you are today. Yeah. <laughs> it's right here, front and center. So whatever our stuff is um, that normally maybe we're too busy to deal with or we cover over or we distract ourselves with, and we all do that on normal levels all the time, you know, but for those of us who aren't used to hearing all of these lovely voices that live inside of our head, <laughs> here they are, you know, front and center. And so, and it can be 
And those of us who are used to even listening to these things, there's even more voices. And they're even, you know, because we have nothing really to distract ourselves unless we distract ourselves knowingly, which is also really important during these times to do some healthy distractions. I've been doing jigsaw puzzles. Oh. Uh, my husband and I are on jigsaw puzzle number eight. <laughs> wow. That's all I have to say. Okay. Um, but I love it. Um, so that it's okay. It's just okay that whatever's coming up is here. And that's one of the things I think that's hardest for us humans to deal with is, is we want to, we, we want to push away the stuff that's kind of scary or negative or different or new. Um, and we spend so much effort and energy um, pushing things away or trying to make things that, that, that are here change that we can't change. Like we're in this, like, we can't change that there's a virus all over the right. world. We can't change that most of us are asked to stay in our homes right now and and not work. Or, you know, we can't change that the economy is doing this thing that it's doing, you know. So we're feeling very powerless right now. And so we fight against that powerlessness. And the thing I've learned is that the fighting against it usually causes more suffering than just learning to be with what is hmm. right now. Okay. So, and that's kind of the basics of what Buddhism is. Like, you know, suffering comes from the fact that we are pushing against two big realities, which is that everything changes. <laughs> Hello. And, right. And that, and that everything is, and that, and that what is, is like, we can't, we can't change the change. So everything's changing and we can't do anything about it. We're powerless over most of it. And so the really the first thing to do is to just let ourselves and gives ourselves permission to just be with whatever we're going through. Whether it's severe anxiety, which I have, I've had an anxiety disorder in my past. I had panic attacks for a good 12 years of my life in my 20s and into my 30s. Mm. I understand what that feels like. I, I had a panic attack about two weeks ago. It came back up. So whether we're dealing with anxiety, which we normally deal with, and it's at an elevated level, or we're noticing anxiety for the first time, like, why can't I sleep? Why aren't I sleeping well? Why am I eating everything in my refrigerator? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. Why can't I stop jigsaw puzzling or you know or why can't i turn off the news even mm, one way we mm -hmm. deal with anxiety is we want information we think it more information is going to make things uh us feel safer and it is true that having a certain amount of information can calm us but when we reach the saturation point with information and the, the bottom line is every day you don't need as much information as you think you need in order to get through this. That's true. So turning off the news or turning away from media can feel scary at first because it's kind of like a lifeline or a security blanket for us to have a voice in the house or to have Ali Velshi mm -hmm. or yourself or someone always there. Right. 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 Uh, but our our nervous system gets overstimulated and it can't ramp down and re and restore itself. So we're in this sympathetic fight or flight all the time with it. That makes sense. So, lear so learning to be with just who we, where we are right now and what we're feeling and letting it be okay is 
the first step and it can feel like an impossibility. Like, what do you mean? I can't just be with this anxiety or this depression or this uncertainty. And yet I'm here to say that you actually can. You can do this. So I can absolutely lead us in a little like five to seven minute exercise. We're just going to sit with what is right now in our day. So I'm going to invite everyone out there who's listening or watching to, if you feel safe enough, to close your eyes. And the first thing I want you to do with your eyes closed, and I'm going to close my eyes too, is I just want you to just recognize what it feels like to just be in the space that you're in right now, whatever room you're in. And one way we can do that is we can just open our ears and focus our awareness on what we're hearing right now. And of course, you're hearing my voice in this space. But when I'm not talking, what are you noticing? Maybe you notice airplane noise or car noise, although these days there's less of that. Maybe the air conditioning is on. Maybe you notice some other people in your house making noise. Whatever it is, just notice the noises. And let your whole awareness be that. And then we're going to move now to noticing our bodies. Just letting our bodies be in this space. And the first way we can do that is to notice the weight of our body on this chair or sofa or wherever you happen to be right now. And if you're standing, noticing your weight on your feet. And notice all the places that your body is touching this chair or the ground. And that's all you have to notice right now. And then now what I want you to notice is just, I want you to notice your body and what does it feel like? Does it feel, are you noticing some tension, maybe some butterflies? Are you noticing that you can't really feel your body? Maybe you feel really spaced out, disembodied. Maybe you're feeling super heavy. Maybe you're feeling anxiety in your chest. Just notice it like you were a scientist and you were going to have to describe it to someone else. So don't get attached to maybe the emotion behind it. But what's the sensation? And just say to yourself some adjectives that might describe. Floaty. Maybe fluttery chest.
And just by noticing this, you might even notice now that something has changed, that something else is showing up. Maybe it is an emotion. Maybe it's tiredness. Maybe it's a craving. Suddenly, double chocolate Milanos sound really good. Whatever it is, I just want you to give yourself permission to just be with what's here now. Knowing that you're perfectly safe. There are no tigers in the room. So you're okay here. Just feel whatever's going on. And just notice it. You don't have to do anything about it. You don't have to change it. You don't have to solve it. And whatever you're feeling is allowed. You have full permission to be feeling whatever it is you're feeling just in the here and the now. There's no right way to do this. There's no wrong way to do this. You could even be feeling total confusion about these instructions. And you could just acknowledge, I'm feeling confused. That's what's here right now. And notice that when you sit with what is, what's true for you in this moment, just watch and see what happens next. Maybe the same feeling stays. Maybe it changes into something else. Maybe confusion now is relaxed or tired is awake. Just like before, just name the sensation or the experience you're having. And notice the permission and the space that you're allowed to give yourself to just be here. Just notice it. Are you comfortable being here, giving yourself permission to do this? Or is it challenging? Nothing's wrong, nothing's right. 
There's no right way or wrong way. It's just your experience. And then the last thing I want us to do is just take a moment and focus on our breath. And what does that mean? That just means now taking your awareness and noticing your natural breathing. And you can do this by watching or feeling your tummy or your chest or the air moving through your mouth or your nose. You can put your hand on your chest even. and feel your body ever so slightly moving. And know that your breath is your one companion as long as you are conscious and alive, but is always with you. It's always here for you. It's your ally. It's your companion. And it's the very thing that knows you and is always with you. And it is the one way in which you have proof that the universe is supporting you right now because you're in a room that has air in it for you to breathe. And so with that, gently, we're gonna come out of this meditation, slowly open your eyes if they've been closed, and just notice where you are now. There's no right, there's no wrong, you may be exactly where you were six minutes ago when we started this, or you may be somewhere else. The point is, is that there's actually nowhere to go and nothing to do. There's just where you are right now. And it's okay to be quiet like that and have your thoughts, but take take deep breaths and, and you know, the, the whole issue about quieting one's mind if you concentrate on the breath that's that's where your mind is spending its energy right it's the thing too is everyone says i can't meditate because i can't shut my mind right guess what your mind's job is not to shut up your brain and your mind are hardwired in order to always be in some sort of mode to protect you And it's always looking for three things. It's looking for the horizon to figure out, am I safe? Are there tigers in the room? Hmm. Is there food? Is there resources to keep this body alive? And if you're of mating age, where's the thing that I need to mate in order to keep the species alive? Like that's the hard wiring of your brain. So your brain is activated to be doing that all the time. That's kind of the more primitive part of our brain. And it's always moving. So the first time we sit with silence or or stop or be quiet and into stillness, 
this thing comes roaring forward because it's the first time we're actually noticing it. Like, oh, look at this companion that's here all the time. Mm-hmm. And so what the way I like to do is just meet it as if you were meeting a friendly neighbor and go, oh, hi, hi, mind, hi, brain. Thank you for being here. Thank you for doing your job and keeping me safe right now. But I want to let you know, there are no tigers in the room. Um, There is food in the fridge. And um, right now, I don't need to find someone to mate with. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. You may want to go in the other room and do that with your partner. That's certainly an option. Right. But we're sitting down to meditate. These are the three things. So we get really friendly with it and say, I'm going to let you be here and know that you're probably going to distract me every 10 to 15 to 20 seconds. But my whole job is just to move back around to the breath and say, all right, we're just going to go back to the breath for a little while. Mm-hmm. I know you'll be back to distract me. It's no big deal. It's perfectly normal. And I'm just going to sit here. And there's so many great apps right now. You know, there's Insight Timer and there's Calm yep. Yep. and there's all these great apps that I really, really recommend to people to connect to. There's guided meditations, there's timers, there's all sorts of things. But what I'm excited about this time is that people are getting to see that maybe they do need to be friendlier with their inner life and Mm -hmm. their mind right now. And so if you've never done meditation, yay, welcome to the world of mindfulness and meditation. It's a beautiful time to, to learn about it because there's so many resources. And if you're someone like me, who's been doing this a while, has a bit of a practice, has been on this journey for a while, yay, you get to really deepen your sense of retreat and your sense of practice and really make this time your own and start to strengthen that muscle even more so that as we move through these uncertain times, which I'm guessing is going to be seriously another year for sure. And there's nothing, we're not going back to the way life was in January. So welcome to the new normal. And I hate that. I hate that phrase, but it's true. So who do you want to be in this new normal? How do you want to learn to be with yourself? And how do you want to resource yourself more during this new normal time? So people can do this on themselves. You mentioned Calm and Insight Timer. I've got both of them on my phone. Um, But you also lead some groups. And in fact, you're doing a couple of things. You have a weekly unplug with kelly carlin yeah i'm I'm not i'm not doing that live anymore but people can certainly sign up for it um and um if you uh uh find me on my email my my mailing list which is if you go to kellycarlin.com you can sign up for my mailing list okay and i'm always putting an offer out and right now there's an archive of those uh things that are Half their um, sorry, ninety-minute um, lessons around mindfulness and all sorts of self-help type stuff. I'm not doing that live anymore, but what I am doing right now is I'm working with women. Uh, I have a, a a program called Women on the Verge, yes. and it's about going deep to take the leap. And I really believe that women are, well, women are the future in a lot of ways because uh, women have a lot of resources within them and have a lot of ways of looking at the world that I think is what the world really needs right now. So I'm very interested in helping women who want to share their gifts with the world to step into their power and their authority and their own voice and to have a deeper relationship with their inner life, move the the baggage, the old stories, the old narratives out so that they can step into their strength and their power and their vision and move out into the world. So I've been doing this work now for about a year and a half. 
I also work, part of this work is about helping women who are in a major transition in their life, mm. whether it's divorce or they're widowed or they're moving into a new career or they're empty nesting, or they're just in that space where they know it's time for them to step up and into fully their fully realized version of themselves. And so um, you can go to womenontheverge.coaching.com. Okay. And that's a landing page and it talks a little bit about the program. And there's a little um, survey there that you can answer some questions to really see if it's the right fit for you. And okay. if it is, um, I love to have conversations and I give a free coaching call to women that it feels like it's the right fit for. Um, so yeah, and then you can always find me on Twitter. I'm always doing stuff on <laughs> Twitter. I'm, sometimes I'm doing live stuff there. I do live stuff on Instagram. I'm no longer on Facebook. I walked away in November. I'm very happy. Could not do it anymore. Yes, I know Instagram is owned by Facebook. Uh, but so and I was I used to do live stuff over there. But uh -huh. I usually do live stuff on Instagram or or Twitter. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm just I'm very dedicated to helping people look through these lenses. Um, and right now my main focus is with women and right. really hoping that women can find their, um, their sovereignty in the world. Like the, I know that's a weird word to use, but I think when women hear it, they, they hear me, which is their, their rightful place, you know, in their lives and therefore letting the work that they're here to do in the world move through them so that they can have the impact that they want to have in the world because we all want to have some sort of positive impact. Oh yeah. And uh, this is, <laughs> they keep telling us it's the year of the woman. Let's make it, let's make it so. Uh, I think it's the, the millennium of the woman. <laughs> <laughs> that works. Fingers crossed. That works. Men. And I'm not a man guy. I'm not a uh, man basher. Right. Nothing uh, like that. People. I, I love men. Men are important in my life. Um, but there's something about being with a group of women and growing with a group of women and going through a transformational process with a group of women that's very different than being in a co-ed situation. And that's why I work exclusively with women. Gotcha. All right. Well, the website, again, is kellycarlin.com. You'll find all this there. Also, women on the vergecoaching.com. I'll put it all on my blog at nicolesandler.com along with this show. Kelly, thank you so much. What a treat this was. What a great way to end the week. And because this is something that people can go back to and, and give you just a taste. This was a taste of a meditation. Just a teensy yeah, little drop. Exactly. <laughs> and expand on it. And it does help. Someone in the chat room just said, well, I was feeling really stressed. That helped. And that's Yay. what it's about. It's about helping. You've helped me so much, Kelly. I, I, I adore you. I thank you so much for doing this with us today. I'm really, really honored to have the invitation. And thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. You take care out there. Stay safe. And, I will. Uh, we'll see. And Billy Jack says hi. And Billy Jack. We'll have to do a virtual maybe watching of the movie one of these days. Oh, that's totally left. One tin soldier rides away. Okay. Um, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> That was April 17th, 2020, just under three and a half years ago. Wow, seems like a lifetime. But then again, it seems like only yesterday. Weird how that happens, huh? Tomorrow on the show, to follow up on the Ali Velshi interview, I'll share the one I did with Lawrence O'Donnell just about a month earlier. It happened after a Twitter argument ended between us with him agreeing to come on the show. Until tomorrow, from somewhere on the road between Florida and a new home in Arizona, I'm Nicole Sandler. Thanks for listening.